You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Good day, podcast listeners. This is Randy Volander on the Third Cup of Coffee. Glad you are with us today. It is a great day for a third, fourth, seventh cup of coffee. It's rainy here in Kansas City. Don't know what it's like where you are, but we woke up to water, water everywhere. And I have a meeting this afternoon, which wouldn't really matter, except the meeting is scheduled at a park. With so many places closed down and there's being such uh, few places to sit outside, you end up having to hold meetings. It's like I'm a spy. Meet me at the park shelter. Nothing weird about that, is it? That's where we're holding meetings today, at the park. Very, very strange days that we live in. Today's podcast is going to be in two parts. To misquote Steel Magnolias, which is the best movie in the world for one-liners. Let me just tell you, I know Princess Bride fans and fans of other movies, I understand, and I understand it's kind of a chick movie. But Steel Magnolias has more one-liners in it than you can imagine. And to misquote Steel Magnolias just a little bit, my podcast today is in two parts, the first and the second. One is much longer than the other. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk a little bit about uh, masks and the coronavirus, and then I want to go into a teaching that I did on Sunday on Ezekiel 37, the first part shorter than the second. Friends, this corona thing, it is not over. For all of our talk of opening up, it is not over. We are encountering a bit of a second, uh, I wouldn't call it a shutdown, but definitely heightened awareness as Kansas City, Missouri, late last week, announced a mask mandate. Uh, Mayor Quentin Lucas announced that uh, masks, masks everywhere, mandatory. And I just want to say, I don't necessarily agree with everything that the mayor does. Imagine that. But this guy, I honestly think, is doing a very good job, certainly doing the best he can. Consider the weight that he is under, no matter what he accomplishes. His tenure as mayor will be weighed on how he's handled this crisis. I, I, nobody's going to remember that he was the mayor when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. They could build the Chiefs a new stadium with a gold-plated roof, and no one will remember it. They'll remember this coronavirus, and I'm sure it's weighing on him, and I really believe he actually loves the city a great deal. So he came down with a mask mandate. Wyandotte County followed very quickly. If you are not from the Kansas City area, Kansas City, most of it, uh, to the shock of most of the country, is in Missouri. On the Kansas side of the state line, there is Wyandotte County and Johnson County, uh, two different worlds that barely meet. Wyandotte County followed up with a mask mandate of its own, and Johnson County did not until the Kansas governor came in with a smackdown and announced there was a statewide mask mandate. And as we talk about this, I watch people get frustrated over wearing a mask. And let me say, I understand that some people, for health reasons, struggle with wearing a mask, and this is very hard for them. I would also say most of the people complaining are just complaining. It's not related to their health. They just don't like being told what to do. 
A few days ago in Arkansas, there was a fist fight in a restaurant that got so violent that a man broke a glass over someone's head because of an argument that started with someone not wearing a mask. A couple of thoughts about this. First of all, if you're so concerned about health that you would confront a stranger, maybe you should stay out of restaurants. Like I'm thinking, you know, if you're that scared, I would not go into a restaurant at all. But the second is that we have lost the ethos of honoring people and bringing some measure of peace when it costs us so little because we don't want to surrender our rights. Christians, I understand you may not like masks. I understand you may be concerned about government help or overreach. But in this case, this is not a scriptural issue. If the scripture speaks to this at all, it says things like this. Romans 13.1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. If there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Hebrews 13.17 talks about obeying our leaders with joy and not groaning, because it would be of no advantage to us. 1 Peter 2 tells us that to honor our leaders is the will of God, and by doing good, we should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, again, I understand there are people that are concerned about government overreach, and there are, some of them are throwing around ridiculous terms. Someone told me they saw someone on Facebook comparing this to the Holocaust. Friends, I wasn't alive during that time, but I've been to the museum. This is not the Holocaust. This is... To call it that is an insult to anyone whose family was involved in the Holocaust. This is a mask. It's not that hard. If you have health issues, I totally understand. And there are exemptions for that kind of thing. But if you just don't want to be told what to do, I think it's pointing to a greater issue in your life. And you might want to take that to the Lord in prayer. Mask up, America. It's the right thing to do for a while. Second part, we're going to dive into a study that I taught on Sunday on Ezekiel 37. There is so much imagery in this chapter. Uh, like I say in the message, it has been written about, sung about, tattooed about, more probably than any other passage in the Bible. And there is a lot to learn that never gets touched because the story is so epic that we often don't peel back the layers to see the nuance. We did it Sunday and I hope you enjoy it. So uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ezekiel 37. Now this uh, is Ezekiel's vision of the dry bones and because of the imagery and the drama in this, it has probably been woven into more sermons and artwork and songs and tattoos than anything you could possibly imagine. Like the imagery here is just so strong that everybody, if they don't know anything about Ezekiel, they know this story. Uh, the Ezekiel passage takes two forms. There's a, a form of communal lament and a form of a prophetic declaration of deliverance. And the two forms kind of go back and forth through the book of Ezekiel. The people in the book of Ezekiel have a really accurate picture of how broken that they are. They understand that fully. 
And this idea of brokenness and the prophetic word of the Lord, they go in tandem. Historically, we really never see revival fall in seasons of excessive pride. We, we see the Lord move strongly in people when they are recognizing their brokenness. And if this current season that we're in has a silver lining, and I know that saying that is hard because there's so many people that are hurting, there are people who've lost friends, uh, it's just a difficult time. But if this has a silver lining, perhaps it brings us to a collective place of brokenness so we are fitting to offer a sacrifice that will attract a move of the Holy Spirit that we have not ever seen. Like if we get that out of that, all of this has been worth it. So in this story, when it completes in 37, and I'm going to go back to this in a minute, uh, near the end, we read of communal lament. In verse 11, he describes the people as saying, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. Now the word, word uh, bones there, the way they use it, sounds a little strange to us. We might say in my heart, they would have said in my bones. When Adam describes Eve, he doesn't talk about his heart. He says, she is bone of my bone. It was like their innermost being, their deepest self. It's why the Psalms speak about our bones wasting away or our bones shaking in terror. It is what we mean sometimes when we say, I feel it in my bones or we are bone tired. This is a message to a broken people who understand they are deeply broken and they're not even trying to cover it up. You know, uh, those of you that live in the metro area, um, Johnson, or not Johnson County, Jackson County, or, or Casey Moe announced a mask mandate that starts on Monday. Wyandotte County announced a mask mandate that started, and everybody's in up in arms about having to wear masks. Everybody who's been to church very long saying, well, we've seen people do this for years. They've worn masks for years because they will try and be something that they are not. These are people that have taken the mask off completely. Now, in, uh, in preacher school, which I did go to, and I have to remind people once in a while that I did attend, um, they tell you in any sermon to tell people what you think the sermon is going to accomplish. I'm going to start with a different disclaimer. I'm going to tell you what this message does not do, which a lot of people do with Ezekiel 37. This message does not make this prophecy about us, okay? There is a phrase in sociology, it's become uh, um, more popular in recent years, that is called uh, cultural appropriation. It is when one group takes on the characteristics of another group because they like those characteristics, but they don't fully take them on. For instance, um, I'm thinking uh, suburban kids uh, in Johnson County dressing like kids from the urban core uh, because they like that look, but they don't want to take on all of the issues and the difficulties that come up with growing up in the, in the center of the city. And oftentimes the culture whose characteristics are appropriated, uh, feel very offended by that. They say, you want the best of who we are. You don't want all of who we are. So there is cultural appropriation. But in the church world, we have another thing that, we, that I call prophetic appropriation. It's when we read a prophecy in the Old Testament, and we think, surely that was written exactly for me. It's the kind of thing that happens when people search the Bible looking for the United States to be represented somewhere in eschatology. Where, where do you see the Bible in the, or where do you see America in the end times? Well, you know what? Not every book is about America. And not every prophecy is actually about us specifically. Um, that said, I want to learn from this passage in Ezekiel 
how to respond when we are invited into something that seems impossible. Because Israel's situation was unique, and this prophecy was unique to them, but the experience of facing impossible circumstances and deep disappointment, those experiences are universal. And God's character is universal, and he asks the same thing of us that he asked of these people, and he responds in the same way. So he is directing a prophetic event over Ezekiel, but at the same time, he's no respecter of persons. And we can read this and we can learn significantly about how to respond. So this is not about us, but we can live in the benefits of its learning. The great thing about growing in God and having the Bible is you don't have to learn every lesson firsthand. You can actually read from scripture and get the lessons that other people have learned without having to live through the experience at times. So everybody on this Zoom, everybody, every little box you see there, everybody at some point has given up on a dream or a hope. You've, you've wanted something, you've believed for it, you've prayed for it, you might have fasted, and suddenly it's like it was gone. And some of those things were very grandiose, and other things were the most logical, made sense, that seems like that would be the right thing to believe, but it feels like those dreams are so dead that they cannot live again. And because they died such a gory death at the time, you don't even want to revisit it in your mind because you can't see any good coming of it. Everybody's got a, a season of life. They go, I don't even want to talk about it. I, let's just put that behind us. And before I dive into this passage, I want you to just take a second in your heart, identify that, that area of disappointment. It's a relationship with a family member, uh, a job that went crazy, that area of disappointment. I just want to pray over that for a moment before we dive in. Father, you see our hearts and the things that we don't even want to touch that are a part of our history, a part of our relational snag, uh, that would be our bone pile, God. And we ask that you could bring things to life again. In Jesus' name, amen. Looking at Ezekiel 37, uh, we'll start at the very beginning. We'll read a couple of verses, teach, read a couple of verses, and go back and forth. I would just keep your Bibles there open to Ezekiel, and you'll be doing great. The hand of the Lord was upon me, this is Ezekiel, and he brought me out of the spirit, out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. Now, this is experiential. Uh, he does not say he was having a dream. doesn't even really say it was a vision. He says, the Lord brought me out. And that valley that he's talking about is likely the one that he references in chapter 3, verse 32, where he says, the hand of the Lord was upon me there, and he said, arise, go out into the valley. And my point is, this is a real place. He takes him to this place. This wasn't uh, he didn't take NyQuil one night and lay down and have this incredibly intense dream. This is a physical encounter that he has. And it is a regular place of meeting. But when he gets there, what he finds is appalling. It's not just that there are skeletal remains there, but the fact that the life that those bones supported one day were so dishonored by the bones being left scattered. The Hebrew culture would never have left bones rotting out in the sun. They always would have buried their dead. So these aren't just bones. They're evidence of neglect and failure to steward what people had. And he notes that they're dry. This didn't just happen. They've been there a while. Whatever happened, happened in history, and it did not go down well. 
Now, all of us, we talked about a moment ago, have bone piles somewhere in our life where there once was, was life. There's kind of a dead pile of remains where we believed for something or we hoped for something or a relationship kind of fell apart. Things didn't come to pass. And the entire dream was so painful that we've actually neglected it and those bones have bleached in the sun. We didn't even put it to rest well. We didn't even, like the plane ran out of gas, we didn't even land it gracefully, it just crashed. It died and we staggered away from it. We're even a little embarrassed now how it all went down because we didn't give it a decent burial and now it's just a pile of bones and we don't go back there anymore because it is too painful. Now, in that hard setting as he's watching this, the next verse, it borders on comical. Verse three says, and he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? You, it's not written there, but you can almost hear the gulp. Can these bones live? And I answered, oh Lord God, you know. And it's first reading, you almost get the idea that Ezekiel is ducking the question. He's like, I don't have an answer here. Clearly God is going somewhere. I'm just going to give the credit to the Lord. I actually believe that Ezekiel was coming to feel that God had a plan beyond what Ezekiel could see. Can these bones live on the surface? Not a chance. They're rotted away. They're empty. They're gone. They're dry. They've been here too long. This is a train wreck and the aftermath of the train wreck and those that were entrusted with cleaning up the train wreck didn't even do it. Not only did these people die, their memory wasn't even honored. This wasn't just a place of death. This was a place in history that people would have avoided because it was too painful to go back to. Things went, you know, there's wrong and then there's bad wrong. Things went bad wrong here. And then they handled it even worse. Some of you are thinking of situations right now that you've gone, I wish I would have handled that differently. I didn't even, I didn't even bury the bones. Maybe you had a dream that you felt really was the Lord and it got slammed in your face and you said, I'm never going to dream that again. I don't even want to think about it again. And things went bad and maybe it wasn't even your fault, but the way you handled them out of fear or out of ignorance, or maybe even out of sin made it worse. And we don't want to go back there. We can't see it getting better. We can only see it getting worse. And when he asks them, can these bones live in the natural? No. There's no possible way for this to work. But Ezekiel replies to God with what I believe is actually a vulnerable prayer. Lord, only you know. What he's saying there is this is above my pay grade, but I see you're going somewhere and I've got more faith in your ability to raise the dead than I do in my ability to imagine what it could possibly look like. God has solutions to your problems and your difficulties that are so unique that if he showed them to you right now, you would say, that won't work. God only you know is a powerful prayer of surrender to the sovereignty of God. It puts your reliance on God and it says, if this is going to live, God, you're going to do it, which is totally different than ignoring the dead bones in your backyard because you're embarrassed of them. It's saying, God, if you want to do it, you must have a plan. Chapter 37 starts in verse 4 then, goes on to 7. And he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and I will cause flesh to come upon you 
and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. Now, let me just give you the simplest, but probably uh, most helpful spiritual advice that you're ever going to get. When you're dealing with God, do what you're told. Okay. Had, think about the times in your life that had you done that, you would have saved significant pain. When you're dealing with God, do what you're told. Ezekiel overcame the fear of ridicule of talking to dead bones or regarding these messes in history. He said, no, I'm going to speak life to them because I was told. We don't know if anybody was watching, but other, others' opinions probably weighed on him a little bit and played into what he was thinking. How do we know that? Because he was human. He was suspect to the same fears and questions that we can barely lift a finger without worrying about. We're concerned about what people think about everything. And here he is speaking life to a situation that everybody said was dead. Is he brave or is he insane? Is he just cute to have that kind of faith? Be prepared to have these things said about you if you choose to believe that God can raise the dead. Be prepared if you think and talk about those pile of bones as if they can come to life to have other people try and counsel you out of it. Well-meaning people will try and talk you out of believing in this passage. Every epic thing or big thing that Kelsey and I have ever tried to tackle, we have had well-meaning people try to talk us out of it or dial down our faith to be reasonable. We've had it over and over and over again. When we moved back to Cincinnati in 1997, we were so excited. It was Kelsey's hometown. I loved Cincinnati. We were great. It was so, it, we had two sons at the time. Uh, there were four and one, roughly. And one of the things we were super excited about was we were going to live in a town where they had grandparents. We had never had grandparents that lived close. And so that was, was going to be fantastic. Kelsey's parents lived there. And what we did not know until we unloaded the truck was that they had separated. It was one of the things they had just never bothered to mention. And so we moved seven hours and got there and grandma and grandpa have just walked away from their house. They don't even live in the house that they lived in anymore. They're living in different places. And um, wow, we didn't see that one coming. And they had literally moved on to new lives. We were shocked. Uh, neither at that point were serving the Lord, but this was an entirely new level of craziness. And both of them they were devastated and we were devastated. We kept praying that the Lord would reverse this thing. And the advice that we got from some Christians who loved us was this. You need to verbally release them to divorce and take the pressure off them and let them live their lives. And we kind of doubled down and said, you know, I don't think we need to actually do that. I actually think we can believe for more and we can believe for restoration. So we started to speak life over that situation. And what we did not know and couldn't have possibly known was over the course of the next 18 months or two years, both of them would eventually succumb to a strange form of cancer and they would both lose their lives. But before that would happen, they would both return to the Lord and begin to reconcile. And their hearts were, were beginning to be re-knit together when they went back to the Lord. Had we listened to the naysayers, we would have a bone pile memory to a marriage. 
and to Ch Kelsey's childhood. It would have been horribly painful to think about. We can look back at that now. It is beautiful what the Lord did in her parents' lives in the last two years of their life. When you pray only God, or God only you know, only God knows. Even if believing seems foolish, only God knows what he can do. Paul would write later in the New Testament that the cross itself feels like foolishness to people. The very mechanism by which we come to being reconciled to God looks crazy. It looks foolish. Who would believe this story if they hadn't lived it out? So here's the caveat that God gives Ezekiel in this mess. He tells him, Ezekiel, just speak the word of the Lord. Just repeat what I said. What God says to you in the word, in your spirit, has power. He tells us to be grateful. This morning, we took time and we expressed our gratitude. Some of you popped into this Zoom meeting actually discouraged when we were done praying prayers of gratitude. Even if you didn't open the mic and pray your own prayers, your heart was lifted because we did what he said. The power involved in the word changes things. Charles Spurgeon said, if we want revivals, we must revive our reverence for the word of God. If we want conversions, we must put more of God's word into our sermons. If we, even if we paraphrase it into our own words, it must still be his word which we place our reliance on. For only the power which will bless men lies in that. The word of the Lord to Ezekiel was just say what I told you to say. Just repeat the words that I've told you. There is power in repeating what he has said over situations that look completely impossible because only God knows. So do you want to agree with the naysayers? Trust me, in these situations, Job's friends will reassemble. There will always be people who try and tell you to be reasonable and not speak to piles of bones that way. But he said, no, 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 Ezekiel, just repeat the, what I've said. Verse 7, the second part of 7, on to 8. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them. And the flesh come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. So here Ezekiel begins to see addition. Things start to move and things start to happen. Uh, it's not just situational maintenance. Like life is coming together. Even some miracle was at hand and the bones joining together. There wasn't enough raw material to complete what needed to be done. Ezekiel saw bones coming together. And even though that was animated, it wasn't really human. If this was going to be anything more than an interesting trick or a quirk, something would have to be added to the situation. Bones had to be joined together with muscle and sinew. There are times when situations are so broken that even the pieces to fix them don't exist. There are situations that sometimes are so dire that even if everything went your way, there aren't enough things to go your way to fix the situation. I remember telling Kelsey one time, if even if everybody did exactly what I think they would do, I don't think this would work because things were so broken. What I'm saying here is, even if we don't see a possible resolve, it's often the case that God is not finished yet. And he is still creating things and rattling bones and putting bone, sinew and muscle on those things. There are parts missing, but he is creative. It's good to remember that he's a creator, not just a steward of the earth. 
So don't panic if you're prophesying to a bone pile and there aren't enough parts there to even build the thing back together. There are people that will come into the situation that you haven't even heard of yet. I, I look at this little group here on Zoom and I love this, but this is not it. This is not the full extension of what the Lord is going to do. There are buildings and spaces that we have not been made aware of yet. They just haven't been revealed to us. And the initial rattling of bones that we have sensed is not the full work of the Lord and the pieces that he needs for us to become what we are supposed to become will be provided in a way that we can never dismiss where those things came from. We are going to get miracle stories out of this that will so exceed anything that we could have done had we had unlimited resources. He's like, you know what? I'm not going to give you the resources. I'm going to hold it back, and then I'm going to create opportunity and give you people and places and things that you couldn't imagine. At this point, Ezekiel has been preaching, in a sense, to the dry bones. He was to speak over the bones, to hear the word of the Lord, and in verse 9, it shifts, and he quits speaking to the bones. Verses 9 and 10. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into me, and he lived, and they lived and stood on their feet in an exceeding great army. At this point, he tells him, prophesy not to the bones, but to the breath. Speak to the wind. What is he saying there? Speak to the Holy Spirit. He's telling him, quit preaching, start praying. You have seen miracles in the natural world as that has responded to the word of the Lord. But for there to be life, even on what I have put together, it's going to take prayer. You need to speak to the Holy Spirit about that. And he quits preaching and he starts praying. I sense in this group, we're, we're feeling this idea of dry bones rattling and things starting to change and things starting to shift. Some of you have heard the word of the Lord, and something has been kind of stir in you, and it's been, I've heard some of you describe it as an awakening of sorts over the last couple of years. You started to make connections in your hearts that were not there recently, but they've come alive, and bones and fragments are coming together. Think about it. Most of us barely knew each other before COVID in some cases, but the what's next, what's next, what's next in our heart is not going to come any other way than speaking to the Spirit and praying those things in. Why do we gather every Friday night and pray? Why do we take Tuesday and Friday morning to just connect and pray again? Why did we pray this morning? Because in that, we see miracles of God take place. We saw things this week. Michael Gromer, his, uh, his COVID test came back negative. We prayed about that. Mike McGee, he was, was ill on Friday night. We prayed. He sent me an email the next day. Hey, I feel better. This is why we ask the Lord for these things. Suzanne, we prayed over her roof. Her $8,000 fix ended up being a free fix. Because when we pray, we engage the spirit realm at a way that we just can't even imagine things happening. And he tells him, okay, quit talking to the situation. We've seen miracles there, but quit talking to the situation. You need to ask me. Why do Kelsey and I dream of a place where there are multiple prayer meetings going on in a day so that people can come in and connect with the Lord and go back out being refreshed by the presence of God? Because in those encounters, that's where we see miracles that we can't even begin to imagine. 
we have seen all we can do in our own strength with our own best idea. The next step for this body really is to speak to the Holy Spirit to ask him to do something that none of us can make happen. Some of our frustration right now involves not being able to get back to church as normal. Because in a very short time, we have forgotten that church as normal was kind of broken anyway. And the Lord is telling us, I'm going to gather dry bones. I'm going to do some creative works and some miracles and add things to those that you can't imagine. And then if you leave it as that, if you're just happy to reconnect, that's all you get. But if you cry out to the Spirit, I will pour life into that, and you will have something that comes out of prayer that can't come out of just meeting and preaching. He wants to transform us from this perfectly protected museum piece to a living, breathing army. And we can't forget, normal was broken. Life in this new reality is going to be different. It's going to take calling to him and him answering to us and moving into situations a hundred whiteboard sessions will not help us figure out what's next. It has got to come from the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel prayed life into this assembled form. He's already seen miraculous situations change, but what he really needed was the wind of God to move. The rattle of the bones, the shaking, and then the sinew on them, and then life from the Holy Spirit. The Lord is inviting us to prophesy both to circumstances and to the Holy Spirit, that we could see these come together and that amazing things would happen. Favor won't do it. Skill won't do it. Finances won't do it if we had it. Psalm 127, 1 and 2 tells us, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And the verse that follows that instantly is directly related to our resistance to asking God to get involved. It says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. There's two ways to do this. You can ask me to do it and I can partner with you, or you can do it on your own. I will confess, I have eaten enough bread of anxious toil for all of us. I, you don't want that stuff. He says, no, 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 don't do that. If I don't help you build this, it's not worth building. Now, Ezekiel's had quite the day. You can imagine him coming home from the office that day. His wife asking him, anything special happened? He's like, it'd be hard to explain. It, it, was, it was quite the day. And it's not even over. The Lord has at least one surprise left for him. And it comes in the very first words of that next verse in 11. He says, and he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Now, we read that and we say, of course it is, but Israel, Ezekiel would have stopped. We think, of course, it's for the whole house of Israel, but we don't really think about what the whole house of Israel meant. Ezekiel was a member of the tribe of Judah. There were 11 other tribes. 10 of them had disappeared. They were gone. The 12 tribes had been differentiated about 1,500 years before this. When Jacob had each of his 12 sons, and he gave them each a blessing. And those tribes had grown strong. But about 200 years before Ezekiel prophesied this, many were sent to Babylon, and 10 of the tribes just disappeared and assimilated into pagan cultures and perhaps traveled to other places in the world. We just don't know. And it would have been very natural for the prophet to prophesy these things, see them to come into being, and celebrate them as they were related to his people. 
oh God, you showed me this is about us and we're just so thankful. And it's not wrong-hearted, it's just short-sighted. God makes this clear to him. This is about you, but it's not only about you. This is about people you've given up on. What I'm calling you to prophesy life over is to people that are so scattered that you don't even know where they've gone or people that you haven't even met yet. These tribes have been so scattered, you don't even know the children of their children of their children. I had a great conversation with a good friend of mine, Lee Cummings, this week. Lee is a pastor in Michigan, and uh, we were talking about what God is doing here, and he called to kind of check on how we are, and uh, uh, he said, are, you know, are you planting a church? I said, we are, and uh, it's, it started in the most unusual way. We were, you know, met twice, and, and since then, it's all been online. Uh, and he said, well, what are the people like that you're gathering? And so we, I, uh, we talked a little bit about the people who God had gathered. And I just explained that people are strong and they're, they're people of prayer and, and they're people of faith. And he said, you know, that's fantastic. He said, normally I would tell somebody starting out, if you're gathering people, that you'd need to dive in very quickly to a very, very basic discipleship program. He said, your charge, because you've got people in many cases that are very strong in the Lord, is going to be to continue to disciple them while pressing the comfort zone of reaching out to those outside the circle. Our challenge will be to think that what the Lord is doing are for the people in these boxes. And it is. But there are people stuck in boxes all over this community that need what the Lord is speaking to you. When you leave this, the house in the morning to live your life, Pray a dangerous prayer. Ask the Lord, show me the dry bones in my community. Show me the people that you are prophesying over that I don't even think of. Because if we don't start to focus on them, we'll have life, but we'll have a much smaller degree of life than we would if everyone who he is speaking to received this gift. And he invites us into that. He said, you want to rattle some bones, prophesy the truth, and then pray for the Holy Spirit to fall. He closes up, 37, 11, the second part, verse 12, behold, this is the people, the house of Israel, all of these people that are scattered, that they, he hadn't even thought of this might be for them. And they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost and we are indeed cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and I will raise you from your graves. So Father God, we agree with the word of the Lord. And we say to our neighbors, to our friends, to those we don't even know, that the graves are being opened and bones are being gathered and life is being poured into them. Would you give us a heart for those bleached bones that we see in the valley around us? Would you give us the strength of Ezekiel to prophesy the word of the Lord? God, just to do what you've said and to repeat your words back. And then to call on the Holy Spirit to move. Father, on our best day with all of our resources and our best ideas, it is nothing and it is totally inadequate without a move of your Holy Spirit among these people, God. So will you come? Lord, it, we look forward to the day we can gather together, even, even closing out this meeting. It just seems awkward to just click and go away. Father, would you provide a way for us to do life and do community together at a deeper level than we're able to in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Most of the teachings on this podcast come from a Zoom teaching that I do on Sunday mornings. 
We also do prayer meetings throughout the week. If you'd like to join us, go to zoefoundationkc.com. That's Zoe, Z-O-E, foundationkc.com. Sign up for the email, which will get you the links to join us for prayer on Zoom. Glad to have you today. Have a good one.